Hi, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast Season 3, and I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is a podcast dedicated to all things food, from culinary sleuthing to recipe ideas and interviews with people who are passionate about food and delicious adventures. So join me here on Fridays to explore the world through the lens of food, and together we can share some laughs, conversation, and I welcome you at my table always. So if you're ready, let's jump into our next food adventure together right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast, Season 3! What? And I'm your host, Beth Fuller. I can't believe it's Season 3. If you're new, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Welcome. You have a lot of catching up to do. No, no pressure. No pressure. You've been here through all the seasons. Well, I love you and thank you for listening to me every week chattering away. And you know what I'm going to say. Don't take notes. I've taken all of your notes. So head on over to my website for everything, elizabethrfuller.com. And while you're there, take in that amazing food, product, and lifestyle photography. It's what I do for a living. So if you need photos, I'm your gal. Hit me up. If you've got questions for the podcast, if you want to be on the podcast, if you need culinary sleuthing of any 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 kind i'm your gal send me an email let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com and of course tag me in all of your food adventures on instagram at let's go on a food adventure all right you guys let's do this let's go on a food adventure hello 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 what's shaking what's going on everyone The sun is shining, fall is here in New England, and all of my apples are officially eaten. Thank God. I know you all sent so much love and recipes and thoughts and prayers. Thank you (laughs) for the apple situation. Oh my God. It was, it was touch and go there for a minute, but no, seriously, thank you. Um, all the apples gone, gone. And only like two of them went bad. So I feel like that is a victory in our household. There's been years where more than two go bad. And what is the saying? Like one bad apple spoils the the bunch or some shit like that. So yeah, it's nice that um, fall is here. The I love fall food. I love baking things. I love that I don't have to eat a salad anymore. Because in the summertime, it's like all about salads. And towards the end of summer, I get a little saladed out in a way. And so it's nice to eat other food. I try to eat the seasons, as you all know. I mean, this is year three. We've been talking. We're like besties at this point. So you understand the struggle. And the struggle is real towards the end of each season, getting into the new season. And this week, we're and you know, I love a moment with the weather. Um, This week in New England, it is a touch of summer. It's going to be almost freaking 80 on Saturday. Oh my God. Global warming is real. Um, okay. Before we get into my amazing interview today. Oh my God. You're going to love her. You are going to love her. Um, is everyone watching the great British bake off on Netflix right now? I don't know what season it is. It's the latest season. Uh, is it just me or are these people so effing talented right out of the gate? Like it feels like they're all, I don't want to say professionals, but like the caliber at which they're cooking is way more professional than the average home baker. In my opinion, like 
you can tell these people really know what they're doing and the quality of like what they're bringing out is and putting out is fairly high I think also how much do we love Allison Hammond like she's amazing I feel like she totally like breathed new life onto that show into the tent like so 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 amazing so my girl is Tasha I hope um she does really well I know I don't she had to like leave the tent this last week. Oh, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen last week's episode. Um, so fingers crossed, fingers crossed. I'm recording this midweek. So the new episode isn't out yet. Um, so, and I think two people are getting kicked off this week. Eek! So exciting. Okay. Food that I've eaten this week worth talking about for everyone. Um, new York times recipe. We're making a lot of cookies in this household. Last week I had a shoot with Toll House. It was phenomenally fun and um so awesome but lots and lots and lots and lots of baking has happened and so I made from New York Times Sola's white chocolate chip macadamia nut cookies these are not your average white chocolate chip macadamia nut cookies no no Mm -mm. no no they are layered with flavor you one of the things she has you do is there is this step where you melt the butter and in a saucepan with a scraped out vanilla bean and then you add in non-fat milk powder and you basically caramelize it you whisk this into the bubbling butter and it gets this gorgeous nutty brown color and then you pull it off and you put it into the cookie dough mixture and, and there's steps follow follow the steps follow the plan she has laid out it is uh meticulous and then these are the type of cookies much like um Christina Tosi's from Milk Bar, you cannot bake these right away. These are a two-day cookie. So they have to go back into the fridge or the freezer for at least 12 hours after you have formed them um, on a sheet pan. (sighs) So sad. You can still eat the cookie dough. It's delicious. I did that. Yes, I know. I know. I know. I can't help myself. But anyway, um, these cookies just have so much flavor going on and I you add in also a little almond extract into the cookie dough as well as vanilla bean. I used vanilla bean paste and the vanilla beans from the scraped out pod. Um, so just it's really it's worth making. I think they're delicious and um, I would say that is the one thing I ate this week that I can honestly say I would make again and I feel like you guys should make it as well. I'll include it in the show notes. All right, we have a very action-packed interview, so we have to jump into this, like, now. Like, now, now. Like, we should have been already talking on the interview. Oh, my God, my guest today. Eek! Eek! She's just the coolest chick, and I am so utterly jazzed to share this because it's just... I loved every minute of chatting with her, and I really hope that we stay connected in our lives together because... She's an amazing human. Um, how cool is this? Born in London. Her mom is Finnish. Her dad is from Cyprus. After living there for just a handful of years, they moved to South Africa. What? And then from there, she decides to kind of travel the world a few times over before settling in Italy, right outside of Florence. She's lived there for probably the last 20-ish, 25-ish years. Spends a lot of her time in Italy, a lot of her time still in Cyprus, and a lot of her time in Thailand. Yeah. And South Africa, because her brother's still there. What the hell? On top of all of that, she's an amazing mom. She's written 11, 
11, you're hearing this right, 11 cookbooks. I know, can you even? I can't even. So please give a round of applause and a big standing ovation and a warm podcast welcome to Tessa Kiros. Oh my God, Tessa, I am so happy to have you on the podcast today and to chat with you. You are one of the most fascinating and interesting people I have ever come across. And I am like so excited to talk about your story. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, anytime. And this will be probably a part one of part many of you and I conversing because I can already tell we are soul sisters from another mister and uh, long lost family members from across the <laughs> sea. Basically, basically. Well, um, we're, we're connected. I think, we you have, know, well, you're more Italian than I am for sure. It, just, not by much though. You've lived there way longer. You are basically an Italian citizen. You've been there for what, 20 years? Yes. I think even longer. Oh my my daughter's 25. So yeah, I've been here. I must have been here like 27 years. That's I mean, what is that? That is that's it's insane to think about it actually in terms of numbers, no? Yes, absolutely. But we have to start at the beginning because your parents, your dad is from Greece. Yeah, your my dad is Greek Cypriot. So he's yeah. from Cyprus. Your mom's from Finland. That's right. And you were born in London, but yes. grew grew up in South Africa. Which yes. is bonkers. Like that's yeah, not like next do door. Yeah, not, is... not on the way to anywhere. <laughs> My dad had been on a safari and he came back and he said, let's go and live in South Africa. And I actually wonder how they did that with two small kids. I think it's great. We didn't but... know anyone there. Like I wrote about in my first chapter, things yeah. that stay. And I do remember the cup of tea. I don't know where that comes from, but I remember the cup of tea and I can see it, how it was balancing on the side table in the hotel. We stayed in a hotel when we got there. I mean, I think that is such fun. That is I such fun. But how did you, wait, so where did where did mom and dad meet? Did they meet in London? In London? Yes. And what made them both want to go to London? Because both countries, correct me if I'm wrong, have very strong family ties that like a lot of people don't want to leave their extended families. Especially in Cyprus. Yes. Especially Cyprus. Yeah, Greek, so you know that side of it. Well, a lot of the Greeks and the Cypriots go to London to study. Uh, so that's what my father did. And my mom went to London. She was she was nursing at the time. She was a nurse and she was a model. Oh, so wow. um, she was working um in London and you know they met and they're very different my parents, very different. Are they still with us today? Blonde, no, they, they're still with us, but they're not together. So um, my Greek dad lives in Thailand. Oh, my God. Which is my chapter on Thailand in the book. Yeah. And my, my Finnish mom lives in Greece. So oh when God. people say to me, where are you from and where are your family? They don't believe me. Some people think you're just, you know, you're not telling the truth here. Oh, I love them. They're so fascinating. I see where <laughs> you get it from. This is fascinating. Okay, so they meet in, uh, in London and yes. you and your sibling brother or sister my sister was born in London and my brother was born years later in South Africa like we've got seven years difference between my brother and I oh he's the whoopsie so no offense to your brother but he was the surprise baby I bet like oh didn't yeah, know we'd have any more very much wanted him to come along and mm. maybe they waited for the move sure 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 that's the story they're telling you but no I'm just kidding no I think that's sweet. Well, my sister and I have got very little difference like a year and a bit oh wow so you're almost like um they used to call that like Irish twins like yes. you, yeah and how long were you in London before you left what age I was about I was about four 
when, oh, when okay. I left. And do you have fond memories of London? I you do. So young. You know, when I when I go to London now, I feel like I'm going home. You know, I feel like I, I'm arriving home when I land at home. But actually, many of my all of my countries feel like I'm home. But I do have something warm about London. When I arrive there, I just feel like you know, in a sense, I'm home. Oh, that's so sweet. I mean, London to me is so cozy. Any time of year, there's this. The UK in general has such a coziness to it. I mean, it maybe is. it's the embrace, like the tea culture, the food, like, you know, the UK isn't really known for their salads. Let's be honest. Like they're known for like cozy. Every food you eat is like a hug in your belly. Like, do you know and what I mean? They're not known for their salads. <laughs> no, 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 you don't go to. I think the food in London is amazing. Cozy yeah. in a sense. I mean, you can also be there and not have a conversation with anybody at all for like yeah. the whole time that you're there. Yet it is cozy, and I think it's one of the most amazing places. I always say you can arrive there wearing anything in mm. any with your hair standing up, shocking blue sort of color, and in a bikini, and nobody will even look at you. And I just yeah. think that is so great. Yeah, that is yeah. so great. Yeah, well, I think then it's also that feeling of New York where like there's so much going, people are so in their own little nooks in their mind that they, they just turn blinders to everything like you could be crossing the street in new york somebody could be getting mugged somebody else could be selling something someone's in a bikini with blue hair somebody's shooting a movie behind you and you're just trying to get to work and you're like i yeah. just want to get to work like yeah. I, don't but I, do, see I, I love that i love that because it's like so sort of unjudgmental mm -hmm. i love it so then south africa so mm. Tell me more about that. So your parents, your dad went on a safari on And then vacation. came back and said, let's go and live in South Africa. I think that he thought it was like a good, you know, work opportunity wise. And, you know, they must have had a good sense of adventure in them. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't think South Africa had like, because what year was this? This would have been in the 70s. Yeah. And the it must have been like 72 or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of political things going on at that point in time in that region in that country and you just don't I wouldn't have guessed like booming economy like I would have been I mean yeah, I don't think he was going for the booming I think he was probably just going for any economy at that point you oh, know okay. like just saw like a good um possibility yeah yeah of, of working and of you know of making a life there probably I mean he'd been on a safari let's be honest he hadn't done much more research on it I don't think <laughs> and maybe they were just planning on going for a bit and um you know coming yeah. back to to London but then we stayed on there's a big Greek community over there so he must have got you know in with a big with a there was a lot of Greek community less Finnish sure. my mother yeah. had a few Finnish friends but not many yeah well because South Africa has a very big expat community very right very big huge yeah. Um, and what did your mom say when, I mean, she obviously went along for the ride, but what was she, she's a very easy breezy laid back woman then like she just, well, I wonder about that, you know, I wonder about that. I think that she settled into it quite easily and there was so much to do then, you know, then another child. So having three children mm -hmm. going along with everything that you need to do with having kids and getting them to school. And we moved a lot. So there must've been a lot of to do with settling houses and you know just trying to just let life go as it does you know mm -hmm. I don't think that in those years you probably stand back and think too much and say am I doing 
sort of the right kind of job that I want to be able to say at the end of the road that I did well. I don't think that, you know, I think you're just going. Mm-hmm. No, totally. And did you guys live in Johannesburg or just outside we lived of? in Johannesburg. Um, yeah. And then, so I finished school there at 18. All I wanted to do was travel. And as you can see, I probably got that from my parents. Yeah. Although my siblings are not all like, so, well, they do love traveling. But, um, you know, a little more settled than I am or than I was. Sure. And so where where are the siblings now? My sister's in Greece and my brother's in South Africa. So your mom is with your sister? Yes. Wow. And your brother stayed on in South Africa. Your dad is in Thailand and you are in Italy. Yes. What a fun family to visit. Mm. Like you guys have <laughs> never ending places to go for free and stay along with family members. Literally. Like, I know. Sure, and, do you I mean, have another one in the States? Like, I'm sure you've got tons of friends here, but. Yeah. Well, my brother loves the States and I came with him last time. I mean, he, so if there's somewhere to go, he's, he's on, he's in on it, you know? So, so my brother, my dad lives between Thailand and South Africa, but now since COVID and all that, he's just been on in Thailand and I love visiting him there. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Well, it's so different. I mean, it's so drastically different from one where you live and. Yeah. And which is. Which is exactly why I love it. I mean, yeah. I came home now from London, where literally on my first night in London last Monday, I went there for a week. I was like so shocked by have, not having been there for so long and mm. everything that you have to eat and do and all the beautiful restaurants. That where, what did I do on the first night? Where did I go for dinner? Nowhere. I was so overwhelmed. I sat in the sauna in the hotel thinking, where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? And I ended up going and getting a yogurt from the corner shop. And I spoke to my brother the next day and he said to me, are you absolutely nuts? Oh my God. Oh my God. You had like analysis paralysis. Like you're like, there's too many choices. I was so overwhelmed and was getting late. And I just said, okay, nothing, nothing. Oh my God. That's fabulous though. That, and then I'm sure you woke up the next day. With a white natural yogurt. Ooh. on your first night in London oh well you know you gotta you gotta let the tummy settle and then I bet you ate the <laughs> hell out of it you ate everything then you're like I need to get a takeaway curry I need to tuck into some fish and chips I need to eat whatever yeah I had right. it all I had it all of course. of course I bet you have your favorite chip shop like you've got it all all you know I lived in Ireland for a summer and uh the late nineties, early two thousands. And they were going through what they called the Celtic tiger. And I, I had trouble finding work, but I had my favorite place. I lived in Galway and I had my favorite place to get chips and curry, warm curry sauce. And like, it was just, it's something that you, I, very, very, very memories. vivid taste memories. Beautiful. And like how they wrap them. And it was my first time seeing anyone wrap paper and stuffing the chips in the paper and like, Oh, so hot, so delicious. Oh yeah. And After, I love I love the vinegar. I love the vinegar on the oh, chips the and the um yeah. extra salt it needs for me, extra salt. And it's terrible when you've taken them away and you realize that you need a little extra vinegar or a little extra salt, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so sad. It's the worst. It's the you you they like the this accent, is... Irish accent. Oh, I love it too. I love the Irish accent. I love the Scottish accent. And you can't understand, like, unless you've had a couple of pints with some Scots or a couple of whiskeys with some Scots, then I feel like I can really understand them more. But being sober with Scottish people right off the plane, you're like, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> it takes you like My a day to My daughter does very well. Yeah. 
my daughter does it really well the the, um, the scottish accent i mean <sighs> we've got to get her when she if she comes down i'm going to get her to do it for you but she's oh, so I good love it Oh, I love it. I love it. So back to South Africa. So you grew up there. Well, you lived there from when you were four to when you were 18. Is that correct? Before university. Yes. And then where did you go to university? Well, actually, funny enough, I studied at a South African university correspondence, oh. which was just right up my kind of alley, which means that you could write your exams from anywhere in the world. Oh, as long as there was a South African embassy there. So for me, that was just top. Oh, my God. You know, it's not for everybody because there was not one lecture mm-hmm. or, you know, you have to do your own research, read the books, send your assignments off by post. And then you have to just turn up at the embassy and write your exams. But for me, it was perfection. That's fascinating so you're obviously a very big self-starter starter which is evident by 11 cookbooks but you this is way before the age of the internet before remote learning yes. before anything like you are in libraries with the dewey decimal system going through encyclopedias immersing yourself in like the cultures so where did you go during your travels while you were learning well, you know, it wasn't even anything to do necessarily with what I was studying. So I studied anthropology and sociology uh-huh. and science of religion, which, um, you know, Buddhism and yeah. Hinduism and that kind of thing, which was amazing. And I was in London then actually working in a restaurant. So, you know, I must have had a tremendous amount of energy. I think it was great. I was working in London in a restaurant, started off waitressing and I was doing my degree. So I would study anywhere that I could in between my shifts. Yeah. Um, I would study at night. I would study in cafes. And for me, it was almost like the more noise that was going on, the more I was, you know, comfortable and studying mm-hmm. there. And then I, I remember arriving in America with my books and the things that I needed for an assignment. And I think that was the time I was I went to New York. And I think that's the time that I went to New Orleans, more or less. Mm. OK, so that was or maybe that was a, I went to New Orleans a little later because I was 23. So, um, but I do remember arriving in America. So one of my trips to America was with my books. Wow. That's so fascinating. So this would have been in the mid eighties, early eighties. Yes. Mid eighties, mid eighties, mid eighties in New York was much different than what New York looks like and feels like today. It must've been like 88, 89, Mm -hmm. something like that. So late eighties. But still, New York at that time was still grimy. It still had this uh, New York right now, if you haven't been in a while, which I'm sure you have been recently, it's a very grimy. Is it shiny? It's shiny. It's cleaned up. It's uh, much safer than it was in the late 80s. Um, Crime still happens. It's a huge major city, but it's not what it was like. You know, the it's it, so I give you a lot of credit to be that young, traversing the world and still able to do your studies. And I mean, to it makes sense what you chose to study being anthropology, being the study of religion, yes. like sociology. You're very much connected to history, to the people, to the world to the in a people. way. Yeah. For me, for me, it's all about the people. Mm-hmm. And that's always what I looked for traveling, you yeah. know? And, I just went along with whatever was happening and whatever came up and it was it was it was wonderful. Oh, really, I'm... really wonderful memories, wonderful times. I loved all of it. That's that's amazing. And then 
So you you plotted around the world where we've gone from now South London to South Africa to back to London to New York, New Orleans. I worked in New Orleans in that fabulous, I'm not sure if you've read that section of my yes. book, uh, the New Orleans chapter, mm -hmm. which was totally unexpected. Mm -hmm. And it was just incredible, absolutely incredible. One of the best memories ever. Oh. And it just happened. I was not looking for a job, you know. I was looking for somewhere to sit with my coffee yeah. in New Orleans, thinking, wow, there's a jazz festival I'm going to stay on. And I ended up working there. You know, I love that. I, I wish I could sort of do that now. Obviously, you know, with children, with a family, with everything. You don't just get up and go and write home and say, I'm staying on in Japan or where. <laughs> <laughs> for yeah. more than a week. But, right, right. Oh, you know, that, that spontaneity that you don't realize you have when you're young. It's true. It's true. We take that for granted. And, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty because I did that as well. I, I moved from Ireland to uh, Los Angeles to San Diego, back to here and in the New England area into, into Boston. And I and I've also traveled the world and just being able to just pack a suitcase and go. But now, you know, I don't have kids. I have a very furry, I don't know where he is. Oh, he's over there. A big furry golden oh, retriever yes. okay. that is like my baby. And I, you know, have but you a, don't a want business. to go for, yeah. Yeah. And a husband and like, you just, you can't as much as sometimes you want to be like, peace, I'm out of here for a couple of weeks and <laughs> I'm just going to go. You're like, you just, you can't, you have responsibilities the older you get. It's and just not the same as those days when you were just hanging out and easy, going with easy. the flow. Yes. So then how long did you stay on in New Orleans for the listeners? I think I was there a couple of months. Mm, mm. And then, you know, um, I, I got back to London after that. And then, um, and then I did another trip a couple of years later where, you know, you remember those crazy tickets that you could get in London. I remember going to the agency and saying, I need one of those like round the world trips. Yes. And it was something like 480 pounds or something. Yeah. And I, it, it could just be an open ticket. <gasps> and I had to just choose the route, like which direction <sighs> I was going in and choose the dates more or less. And then I could change them. And you know how sticky they are these days if you don't yeah. have the exact date and if you're going to change it, there's penalties. Hundreds and of hundreds that. of dollars. Right, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I just chose my route, which was like London, um, Bangkok, I think was the stop. Then we went Bali. So I stopped in Bali and then um, Sydney. Sydney, oh and then we came around the other way, LA, Mexico, mm -hmm. New York, London. It was like one of those trips. And how long were you gone for? I don't a remember year? exactly. I know the ticket was an open ticket for a year, but crazy stuff that went on. It was, you know, it was. I wasn't away for a year, but I remember just insane things that would never happen today. Like, for example, when I was in LA, I think I missed my flight to New York because we'd been out the night before my friend and I. Nothing hectic. We had just been out. We had a late night. And I remember waking up and thinking, oh, my God, Leanne, you know, aren't we supposed to be at the airport? Yeah. And we got them that missed the flight, you know, and I just think that would never happen to me today, you know? No, 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 because then you wouldn't be able to get on another flight. You would be paying like a thousand dollars in penalties. The stress of even getting through security, like those were the days yeah. you, there was no, those were the lines. days. Those were the days. Yeah. yeah. Those were the days. 11 changed everything though. I mean, I remember when I was moving to everything Ireland about travel. Yeah. When I was moving to Ireland, my mom, it was the first time I moved out of the country. My mom walked me to the gate. 
She, you know, you didn't need a ticket. You didn't need anything. I mean, you could still smoke in airports. <laughs> you could, then she walked me to the gate and she was like, oh, I'm going to miss you. You're going to have the best adventure of your life. I love you. And I just clearly remember her hugging me as I was walking onto the airplane, which you could never, ever do now. Like, Can you imagine have- that now? Now no. they throw they threw away my rice pudding. And I said, why is the rice pudding? It's not liquid. <laughs> I love that you tried, though, that you tried to bring rice pudding on a flight. Like, not many people yeah. would think that would be a plain snack. Like, I, I'm a big fan of, like, crisps on a plain snack or candy or, like, we have this thing called Chex Mix here, which is, like, a bunch of crap in a bag and, like, cheese powder all over it. Um, but I love but you that you're like rice pudding. I love you... taking something like that, but I didn't think that she would, you know, she said to me, sorry, you can't take it. It does. It, you know, she wasn't sure if it was a liquid. And I, I looked at it and I said, please eat it. Please do not throw it away. Just eat it. <laughs> I, love, I love you. I love you. That's so fascinating. So then we're, we went around the world a few times over and somehow you ended up in Tuscany, in yeah. the region of Tuscany. How did that happen? Well, I came here thinking that I would do something a little bit like I had done in Mexico. Mm. I spent like a, a, a month or so in Mexico with a family, and I wrote about them in the Mexico chapter that mm. Rosa in the kitchen was like the most incredible thing. And um, so that was beautiful. And then I thought um, I went back to London, worked there for a bit. I went to Greece. I worked there for a bit. You know, it's very acceptable in working in a restaurant that you work yes. in all different places. It's, it's yeah. part of your curriculum and um, your CV that you're going to get together. So after Greece, and Greece is like totally home for me, I thought, what shall I do? Let me just have a little trip to Italy, which is next door almost. And I want to go and study Italian. But what I really wanted to study was the food of Italy. As one does. As one does. So um, I don't know how I ended up in Siena. I had a little book that gave a place of, you know, that gave some things about where to study or where. So I went to Siena, but I wrote to the woman and I said to her, the secretary of the school, and I was saying to her, you know, do you have like a restaurant that I could work in at the same time? Or, you know, if I have to live with the family, please make sure that you put me with a family who knows how to cook. Like horror of horrors. Can you imagine coming to Italy and being with a family who doesn't know how to cook? They all know how to cook here. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if that's such a thing. I know. Well, you know, in a city at my, um, it's, it's, so they put me next to Giovanni's mother and working in Giovanni's family restaurant. Mm. Oh, how funny. And that's how you so guys that's met. That's how I met Giovanni. And, um, and for people who don't know, that is your now husband. That's my husband. Yes. Yes. Oh. And, um, you know, it was, it was quite crazy because I didn't speak any Italian. I, I still had some Spanish from, sure that time so I was trying to get along using Spanish and you know just a little bit of English with a vowel on the end of it and um what I do I didn't yep. speak much English at all no and this so is before, for dinner yeah and this is before and Google Translate like, this is before so it's like a lot of charades yeah mm-hmm. and it was you know it was interesting it was fun it was um in the moment mm. it was um it was great. It was great. So, of course, I was only supposed to be here for a month. So I left and then we carried on communicating by letter. Of course. Of course. And um, then I ended up coming back. I went to Milan. He came to see me in Milan. And then slowly, slowly, I just came back to Tuscany. Ah, oh, the heart. I mean, it's really the heart of Italy. 
And the food, just from my own travels in the country and my my family being rooted in the South, and I've traveled from the North to the South and and spent time in a few different regions there. There, the food is so different, region so to different. like vastly different, and people so don't realize different. that. Even like, like the olive oil changes from the North to the South because of the way it needs to then complement the food it's being you know, cooked in, flavored with, like, it's unbelievable. And it's to do with the weather and the Mm -hmm. soil and and, and everything. So for me, it's amazing because when people say Italian food, it's almost like there's no such thing. There's no no such thing. No, no, I agree. And then people think, oh, well, everyone eats pasta and pizza everywhere. And it's like, no, 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 no. Only certain regions eat pasta. Only certain regions eat, like, and it's certain types of pasta. The pasta changes. The, there are only certain regions really do embrace risotto and like it's it's so beautiful and biodynamic and it's so culturally important and I know it's not just Italy that does this there's other countries in the world that do this I'm sure even Greece and Cyprus has their own version of this it's just much smaller yes they do um but I think that is one of the most interesting things in Italy is how different how vastly different the food in Venice is Mm-hmm. You know, from mm-hmm. Sicily, it's two, it's a world apart. And um, and not only the food is different in the different parts of Italy, it's seasonally, you know, mm-hmm. if somebody comes to Italy in July and says, This is what they eat in Italy, no. a person coming in December looking for the same thing would be shocked. They would say that person was lying. A hundred percent. Like you're no not thumbs, getting there yeah. are no artichokes there's no yeah strawberries there's not a tomato to be seen fresh anywhere yeah yeah so you know you really have to see it across Mm -hmm. the calendar and um and you know of course how they also eat everything on the holidays on every day of the saint of this of that on there's all kinds of things to be eaten and enjoyed and cherished and respected yes uh, across the thing but my experience of of food in america was just fun and amazing and incredible yes I've had I... some beautiful beautiful meals there from New York to LA San Francisco New Orleans okay I've been to great places the the most recent trip I did was um LA mm-hmm. with my brother and I'm still crying about the things we ate there oh my god what did you eat there that that well, tore your it, it was like a grilled cheese sandwich in the um, LA food market you know the those whole food stores and uh, incredible pizza, like mozza, incredible pizza. And just everything that I tasted was just crazily good. Yeah. You know, and you could get such great salt and straw ice cream. I loved that. And oh, um, sure. you could get such great ingredients from the whole foods. And um, it just seemed so ahead. Everybody in there working out, fit, working out outfits and getting like a, a you know, like a smooth milk cappuccino to go with a healthy thing and avocados everywhere. So that was in LA. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in New York years and years ago, I just remember all those kind of chocolate chip cookies and the things that I was obsessed with at that age, you know, oh, New sure. Orleans, crazy food city. Amazing. I think with New Orleans, it's so so different than other places around it because and it's so special because of the french so special by so special influence that's there that i mean they cajun the cajun the creole everything i mean you can't you cannot work out what is going on over there no you can't and it's just about 
it's only there. There, it, it is not anywhere else in the country. It is literally this tiny little pocket of this incredibly beautiful, soulful food that is that is done there, and it's so fabulous. Much so much soul. I was literally shocked when I got there. I said, "What yeah. is going on here? It yeah. is just amazing." Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know that America is so vast, but I also loved. Um, you know, we did like a little road trip with my friend and I. I mean, you must, you know, realize that we were, I was like 21 or something. Sure, sure. And um, at the time that we did this trip, we took a greyhound and rode down, like, you know, but from um, from New York and all the places that we stopped at, I found everything just had such atmosphere, like I can't wait to go back, you yes. know? Yes, yes. These are salad we stopped and had along the way and... um the ice creams and the I just loved all the feelings of Carolina and and Georgia and um I just feel like it has a lot of soul it does and as you get further south down the eastern seaboard into the bayou into like the panhandle of Florida Arkansas Mississippi you might even swing by and into uh, Louisiana it is it changes so dramatically as you're slowly creeping down and you see it within the foodways um and the culture the people everything it's absolutely fabulous and that's it is it is you're absolutely right that is one thing to love about our country is we do have it is a melting pot and something to be very proud of um and there's a lot of possibility everywhere you know there really is a lot of possibility it's vast i think it's you know i mean when you hear about this the doing a road trip through Mm -hmm. america or something there's so many places to see and be and do and I think that would just be so incredible to do something like that. As you should, you you know, now that the kids are older, you can definitely say mom's going on a road trip and just pack yeah. up and get and the you heck know, out. They've, they've never been to the States. I don't think my kids have. Oh, but they have passports. Let's get them over here. Yeah, I think that they need to get to this. I mean, that, that would be on their top, top, top list. You know that when I was young, mm. I've just remembered now, mm. I used to cry. I wanted an American accent so badly living in South Africa. I remember just thinking, at what age does your accent sort of set in? Because, you know, of course, we had all the movies and Farrah Fawcett Majors was like my hero. Sure, and sure. and um, I just wanted to be American because we had all the all these kids whose parents had been to America and they would just come back with the coolest gifts for their children, you know, like the pencil cases and those huge pens with like those... It, it was just like um, something that I had in my mind. I remember at that age, like 10 to 12 years old, I just wanted, I wanted an American accent. Oh. And I kept thinking, will I still manage to sure. get it? At what age does your accent set? Sure. So can you do one? Can you do an American accent? No. <laughs> I won't even attempt it. I love it. I love it. I remember. So I, I don't, I won't have children, but if I ever did have children, I was like, I want them to have that adorable British accent. Like, cause yeah. it's like mummy. And hey, I like, have a cup of tea. Yes. Yeah. I love that also. Oh, so cute. So you're, you're, your daughters are full blown Italian born in Italy. They're born in Italy, but I've always spoken to them in English. Um, and so they are bilingual, completely bilingual. And my eldest daughter, Yasmin, who's 25, is a linguist totally. So she went to the linguistic school over here. So she speaks Spanish, French, as well as Italian, English, and now Greek, because she's just been studying in Greek. And as we speak, she's busy studying Korean at the university in Italy. She's just come back. My other daughter is um, 
science, biology, nutrition, going down that route. But she speaks definitely English fluently, Italian, and a little bit of Spanish, and a tiny bit of Greek. So for us, it's quite normal. You know, no, it's actually not normal. You've seen Italy. You've seen yeah. Italy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you speak Italian here or you get by. And thank goodness I say to them, they get away with it because they've got a beautiful language, beautiful country, beautiful food, yeah. beautiful everything. Yeah. So they get away with it because everybody comes here and is like trying to study Italian. Yeah. So the Italians don't even have to stretch themselves yeah. at all. So, you yeah. know. No, but Italian, the, the language, as it does with any country, it definitely uh, changes like drastically city to city. Like it, yeah. it, Italian in the North is very different than Italian in the South, very different the, than Roman Italian. The dialect and the yes. Napolitano dialect, I cannot understand. Sure, sure. No, I couldn't either. I mean, I tried. And mine was very uh, Duolingo dialect, which, you know, I can say the little girl wants an apple, which really doesn't get you very far when you're trying to converse with just conversational. Where did you, where did you learn that? <laughs> so I learned my Italian, I learned through uh, this program called the Pimsleur Method, and it is um, all conversational. And so I didn't so the learn- little girl wants an apple. You didn't ever get to use that though. No, 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 no. What is it like? Unreg uh un ragazza ragazzi no ragazzi is a boy ragazza una ragazza vole yeah. vole e mele yeah like yeah. i learned in french bonjour je suis philippe le good morning <laughs> <laughs> so i took french in high school and i learned est-ce que je peux aller à wc or est-ce que je peux aller à bois de loup like vous vous so useful so useful like come on nobody needs to go to the library like all i got out of that was the garden of of montclair where, where, where i lost my pen in the garden of my uncle I mean, oh my God, i love it i love it so useful so useful but I the mean, fact I can't believe it though. I mean, you can use it when you really don't know what else to say, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Your daughter speaks that many languages is mind like how does she keep them straight in her noggin? I can't even I don't imagine. Know. I, can't I don't imagine. know. And, and and she's really good with like imitations as well. She's the one that can do the Scottish. God, I love and her. And she can do an Australian accent. I can't do it. They always like saying the water, the water, you know, they, well, they do that. South African and Australian aren't that far apart. In in the I think that Australians more sing song. They and, are. They always know, end on a mine question. Probably, yeah, mine is probably quite a bit more mixed at this point. It's still mm -hmm. quite strongly South African, but it has some mixtures in it. And my kids have got like no accent. It's neutral. Really? You cannot understand where they're from. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, yeah, I wouldn't. I I I can't defer really from different regions in Italy because I don't hear it enough if I lived there I probably would be able to pick up where people are from based on their dialect but um when I hear people speak Italian it's just Italian to me is such a sing-songy beautiful language my brother lives in Brazil and he speaks fluent Portuguese but Brazilian Portuguese is very different than Portugal Portuguese can you understand no I've been, I, he's lived there for over 10 years now. So I, I've heard him speak it so much that there's certain words that he'll say over and over again when he's around me, which is like Ella, which means she, 
So like, I know when he's talking about me, cause he'll keep saying Ella, 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 because he's talking about me to his girlfriend or to someone else. And I'm like, mm. listen, I know you're talking about me. He's like, don't yeah. worry about it. But like, and I know how to say like, I'm sorry in Portuguese, desculpa. I've said that many, many times, or I can say, no, you go, você pode, 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 go, 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 you know, the basics, everything everyone wants to know. Brazil would be beautiful, no? I have it never is. been. Huge. I mean, you think the U.S. is big? Brazil's pretty much the same size as the United States. It's massive. And mm. like, it definitely varies from region to region as one big country does. And the, the interesting thing, and because of colonization, over the years, um, certain parts of Brazil almost has like a Swiss feeling to it, a German Swiss vibe. Yeah. Like they have parts that are um, mountainous that they embrace the architecture of like Switzerland slash Austria, Germany kind of feeling too. Um, hmm. And then you have parts that feel like um, Central America almost. And the region of the Amazon is very, very different than where like you would be say in Sao Paulo or Rio de Janeiro, or not Rio de Janeiro of, um, yeah, Rio de Janeiro, not thinking, um, here Rio, but it's, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful country. Um, the food is very interesting. My brother's girlfriend is from Minas, which is kind of central to the country. Mm -hmm. And when you're from Minas, every, they always say, it's a very proud country to region to region, but people from Minas, I always say like, we have the best coffee. We have the best cheese. We have the best everything. Mm. So if you're from Minas, it's always the best. Everything's the best. And they're, they take cheese very, very seriously in that country. Oh, cheese. really? I wouldn't have thought cheese was a big one there. Huge, huge. Like we, when we were, we went for two weeks and we stayed in Rio and then we drove up to this little island area that almost has a feeling like I don't want to say Hawaii, but it, it's this little area called Angra dos Reis, and it has like 300 little mini islands all around this peninsula area. It was absolutely beautiful on the coast. And mm. as we're driving up there, we were, uh, my brother's like, oh, hey, let's stop real quick. And there was this dirt road and it just said Cajio. And so we drove down this dirt yeah. road and there was this teeny tiny little hut and you walked in the hut and it was just a tiny little hut of all different kinds of cheese. And, and this is not your mountainous region, the Swiss region. No, this is in the coast. It was just like off the beaten path. And he's like, oh yeah, no, we're going to get, and it was like a cheese that's kind of like feta sort of um, pressed in a block. I think it was cow's milk and not sheep's milk, but it was well, really it's like, well, the Mexican cheese as well. I mean, there's not, it's not near Mexico, but I mean, kind of, no? Kind of, Mexican yeah, like in Oaxaca and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then they have this other cheese that is called hakejao and it's in a jar and it's really, really, really creamy, almost like the texture of, um, and the taste of like melted brie, but it stays in a jar and it stays creamy and you eat it on like bread in the morning with hmm. guava paste. And it is so effing good. So if you can find what do you do with guava paste, oh, they love sweet and salty. They're a country mm. who lives for sweet and salty. So they like Sounds the amazing. contrast. Mm -hmm, it is. It is. Um, not, again, not surprisingly for being such a warm country, a country that is not known for their salads, 
but they um they like a lot of fried things they like a lot of cheese they like for a reason all that hit the beans the wonderful yeah yeah feijoada and stuff like that and it's so funny because i would imagine the this area to be kind of like you described la very health forward everyone's always in a bathing suit um it's hot but no they really like rich heavy food and I like after two weeks of being there I'm like I need to go on a diet because I've eaten so much crap I need a salad I need a freaking salad yeah 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 okay so back to you though where did you fall like what are some of your earliest food memories in the kitchen because we got to get into your cookbooks right well I think that um we used to go really often to Greece in the summers Mm. and Cyprus and I remember my grandfather always making incredible things in Cyprus, which um, really have stayed with me forever. Mm. Um, He was always, you know, making his souvlaki on the coals and fresh things, like they had a lemon tree outside. And so they would pick lemons and even squeeze the juice and freeze that for the months ahead when there was no lemon. But there was always few things, but great things, you know. He He was in charge of the rice puddings. He always had a box of baklava ready for me. And um, so my grandfather was just amazing. My grandmother died at an early age, so I didn't really have much to do with her. I'm I'm sure that she would have been the most amazing cook. So her daughter, my father's sister, was the one that was in the kitchen, Vanya, making beautiful moussaka and pasticcio and all those things were memories of mine, like every summer, repeated. So we would go to Greece every summer and have these beautiful meals. Back at home in um, South Africa, we had always the kind of anchors of, you know, my mom making her gravad lax on Christmas Eve and bringing the Finnish side of it, her making her Finnish mustard. So my mom was a really huge, huge influence. And um, I think that I just slowly, slowly got more interested in cooking. But my cooking always connected to a culture and to the people of a place. So being in a place where there's a sense of community, I think that you can find your interest wherever you go. You don't have to necessarily live in Italy to to appreciate, you know, the regional food of Italy. I think that you can you can get that sense from even a deli. So mm. in South Africa, we had a lot of Portuguese restaurants, Italian, Italian immigrants, Greek. So even that feeling that you would get from stepping into an Italian deli in in Johannesburg would give you that sense of home or going home to a friend after school who had an Italian family, seeing what they would eat. So I had a German friend. Um, my mom had a Scottish friend. So we went to a Scottish fete with her every year. And, um, you know, knowing what different people do, I think it's great. It always interested me that. And I remember details, details of that, um, of what people would have for their school lunches and um you know, it was always for me fascinating, the different people. And I think that probably um, having been to so many different schools and places that I was, you know, forced to sort of fit in. And I think that when you do move around a lot and travel a lot like that, I mean, we moved several schools. I think that you become a little bit more aware of of watching people, of observing and um so that was always like my antenna were out, you know, interested in things like that always. Well, that and like, it, it's so obvious to see the career path and like the, the path you took because of your childhood 
you adapted so well. I grew up in the restaurant industry as well. And when you work in the restaurant industry, you learn so many, you're so good at social, social cues. You're good at adapting. You're good at thinking on your feet. You're good at um, problem and solving. Hosting. And hosting. Yeah, hosting everything. Like I, I bartended for 13 years. And before that, I worked as a waitress many times over all across the country. And you, but then on top of that, the being an anthropologist and what you took from your anthropology love is the figuring out different communities and societies based on the food and how they're cooking the food. And you find so much love through that, which I agree, which is why I started this podcast so long ago. And it, it's just, it makes so much sense. And you have so much love in your heart for so many communities all across the world. And this is the way you get to show your love is through your cooking. And that's the one, one of the ways I show love as well. So 11 cookbooks like that as a food, I'm a professional food photographer. So I have an idea of what it takes to photograph yes. a cookbook. To write 11 cookbooks is so insanely daunting. I can't even imagine when was, when did you start that first cookbook and like what made you want to start it? Well, now that we've spoken, it will make sense to you what my first cookbook was. It's that um, it was my first, my time of living in Tuscany. So I had been working in kitchens in London and um, I'd worked in, in Australia and worked, you know, lived with Rosa, let's say, in Mexico for a month. When I got to Italy and I was working in Giovanni's family restaurant, I would get home and be writing everything down. Like I was like, forget the grammar, you know, I'm I'm working on this like all their spaghetti dishes of the week, all their pasta kind of things. And so I would get home and I would be writing everything down. And then I think um, I had my first daughter. So we're living over here. And I had been then working. I started then collecting all of the things that I was, I had been, I had loved in Italy. And I just thought, who knows if I'm going to be living here or, you know, I might not live here. Let me collect everything that I want mm. in one book for myself, mm. which is which is what I did. Yeah, yeah. And it was called 12 because it was the way that they eat in Tuscany from January to December. Yes, yes. So yes. it was essentially just my diary. Um, You know, it wasn't that I thought, oh, let me do a book. I just put everything into one place. Um, And I called my friend, Michael, who's a friend of mine from birth, him and my, his mom and my mom were friends in London. And then they went to live in Greece. So his name is Mikhail. I called him up and I said, Mikhail, I'm doing a book. And he said, oh, that's fantastic. He's so talented. And I said to him, will you help me? And he said, yes, what will I do? And I said, well, don't worry. We'll, we'll find something. You'll be, you know, whatever. So he's ended up being the stylist on all of my books. Of course. And he found me the photographer. And the stylist job is often you know, oh. underestimated, isn't it? Yeah, I use food stylists and prop stylists all day long. It is, it, I mean, it is daunting because the tiniest yeah. movement of a napkin, I mean, that's all food photography is. It's teeny tiny little movements we make over and over and over again until we all know and we're all aligned and we got it. Once you got it, you get to move right on. But the food dies so quickly at times. So quickly. And especially and if you're looking at ice cream or any oh kind God. of warm food. I mean, ice cream is impossible. And um, yeah. 
you know, any kind of warm food that's going to start wilting, a salad. Pasta dies very quickly. Sauces get real crappy real quickly. And like, oh, yeah, soup. People don't realize, people think, oh, soup's got to be easy. Not at all. Soup can look dry very easily. And like the veggies that float on top of the soup, you have to constantly keep wet. And like, that's what the food stylist does. It's such... Oh, and the tips and tricks of the trade they have and the knowledge mm. they have, it is so valuable. Um, so I hear you. So that is not an easy, it isn't, it is not an easy job at all. You know, and then there's also the things like if we're doing a book, you need to look at what ingredients, of course, are mm. available at what time of the year. And especially if your photographer and stylist are not in the same country as you. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like come next Thursday, we've got some quinces, you know, it's mm -hmm. um or the artichokes are in season. So we need to plan around that. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's that's the challenge of my work. The whole thing is creative and, and amazing. And it's a it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I will not lie. Oh, I yeah. I will not say, go and do a book. It's easy. But, you know, you said it's daunting. It's daunting to think of 11 books. You don't have to do 11 books. You need to do one recipe as a start. Yeah. Yeah. But even writing one, I've written many recipes um, professionally as well. And for big companies and you still got to test them over and over again. You got to make I was sure like really a wreck after that last book. I was like, Oof, you know, yeah, how many cakes can we eat more? Oh, and not just once, how many times? I know. Emily, so patient with me. Like after you've made something five times, once I was even making something in secret, because they were saying to me, I think that's enough. Yeah. I think yeah, you're, you're going to give it away to somebody else. Okay. Yeah, and then yep. at the back of my mind, they went to Greece, and I was like, "No, I'm going to stay home and work." One and more time. They left, I made another tray of that yep. custard thing, and um, because I just thought it needs maybe a little bit less sugar. Yeah, I'm really, really, you know, perfectionist on wanting them in the best way that I can do them. Exactly, and the other thing too is then you also have to like for me, I'm very specific on not just uh, the quantities of things, but like for example, salt. Salt varies so much type to type from kosher to uh, table salt to sea salt to the salinity in each one is very different and it can even vary brand to brand. Mm. So people, you know, like when I write a recipe, I like things, my my husband's an executive chef as well. So we tend to oversalt oh, wow. things. So you really are in the business. We huh? really are in the business. So we tend to uh, lean towards slightly more salty food just because of our palates and, and that. So I have to be careful when I'm writing recipes to kind of lean back a little bit and, and almost, I mean, we all say salt to taste or seasoned to taste or, you know, but you, you sometimes, but sometimes, sometimes it can really make or break the recipe. A million percent, a million percent, which you know, same thing with baking. Like with it also depends on the weather. Like if it's too on humid your oven, out, if it's oven your oven, hot. right? So if your oven's not calibrated, or even if it is calibrated, whoever's baking it. So there's also this probably this feeling of uh, you have to surrender and release eventually, and be like, you do, and you have to trust people that people are generally going to know what to do, or they're going to know their ovens and. I don't think that they make such a big thing about it, you know. Not I think anymore. We mm -mm. think, oh my gosh, this is like not right, and what? But then people are just like, oh wow, I've bought a book. It's beautiful. Make yeah. two things. Keep it a bit for inspiration. Yeah. Read it at night. Um, but I think that if we do put all of whatever we can get into that recipe, because I think it's important. You've got a page. Yeah. 
yeah. use it well, I say to people, you know. And um, so one of the recipes in the book, the kichari, mm-hmm. I made it and, and I've actually written in there, like it makes a big pot of things. And I've actually put put a tablespoon of salt, like, you know, and then um, because when I had put a little bit less, I thought, oh, my God, a tablespoon sounds a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's rice and mung beans and everything. Mm-hmm. And so it's five or six. And then I just thought it sounds a lot and we're supposed to be doing less salt these days. So I tried it with a le- with less salt. No, and it just wasn't salt. quite right. Uh-huh. So uh, I put, you know, it, it comes down to your words and as you're putting. So I think I've put in that recipe, add a scant tablespoon of salt or le- a little less, if you like. You know, so you're leaving it to people. So the newest cookbook, Now and Then, a collection of recipes for always. Now the book, I I collect cookbooks. I shoot cookbooks. I love cookbooks. It is such an interesting layout because it's a lot of cook. There's a lot of um, cookbooks that run appetizer to dessert. There's a lot of cookbooks that run season to season. Your cookbook is part memoir, part recipe, and it's really and based. No, no, <laughs> none. Like total chaos in the most beautiful way possible. Yes based on your food memories mm. in different places that your heart is and I love that you know? I do I too it I was... don't like to have this like just you know recipe photo recipe photo recipe photo. just I just say every book should have a life of its own yes and I work with such a great team of people I'm I'm lucky to have my own artist yeah. who is not a book designer which she is insanely talented and she's the one that she's the one that I'm able to run with. So she's the one that is like the creative direction and um, she sets it all up and, and she is just incredible. She is my friend. She doesn't do books, but she does my books. Oh, I love that. And, and um, because she's so thinking outside the box, we can go in that direction because you can think outside the box, but you need to have a professional to be able to hold it into place for you because it's not just about having fun with crayons and you know a book has to be taken ready to print and then of right. course there's Murdoch, a publishing company who that is their job and they know exactly what needs to be done so there's layers and layers and layers of catching mistakes and things like that and taking it ready to print so it's not all just about having fun and creating that is a huge part yeah huge Yes. Yeah. And I mean, there, there is, there has to be some cohesion to it all in the end. Um, and it, it is a beautiful book. It is something to sit down and not just, cause I, I collect cookbooks, like you said, for inspiration to cook from, for various reasons, because I love the author, because I want to support them because I love the photography, the photographer. So nice. It's so nice. And I, and I pay full price for books. I, I don't need to get them on a discount. Like I love supporting because it then one, I give to that in that way, because I am in the industry as well. Like this is what I do for a living. Like, so I I totally respect and bow down to everyone in in our community that does this. Um, And there's so much change that's gone on, hasn't there? Oh God, so much from, and I shoot both commercial and editorial photography and both worlds are constantly changing. And it is it, it, with AI, it is a very scary landscape out there, but we won't get into that. Um, I, I'm with you on, I know you're a very positive, optimistic person, as I try to be as well, but it is 
forever changing and the style we all try to yeah and our photography styles the way the recipes are written everything is constantly evolving and changing and what people want to eat is constantly changing but what I love about this book it's you're just going back to the heart you're going back to where your heart is centered I think so and I think that I am addressing in the now Mm -hmm. you are in the now I'm, I'm addressing what is happening these days in a sense, you know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, we need to all be focusing our attention in a different direction. We need to look at sustainability. Mm -hmm. We need to look at um, putting more vegetables. I'm really interested in Ayurveda health. You know, we, we need to look in a different direction. I don't think that we can just pretend that we can keep on and on doing the same as what we're doing white sugar, white flour. I think that we need to be more open to the new. So that's in my nowadays chapter, mm-hmm. which is the things that I'm exploring. But for me, the the spectrum of my book is the way that I eat. So I yeah. wanted to put that all in one volume, which is a bit of Greek, a bit of Italian, a bit of Thai, a bit of Mexico, some healthy, but I'm not a vegetarian. Right. So I don't feel like I can write a book on vegetarian just yet, you know, because no, I don't but- know about the correct nutrition. True, 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 true. But I'm sure you guys eat Italy and I mean, a lot of regions in the world eat so many vegetables. I mean, very Mediterranean, very uh, vegetable focus and very, very vegetable forward. I bet you could write a vegetable forward book. Yes, I could for sure. But you know, you need to make an effort in yes. this respect because you know life just goes along and some people you might just end up saying one day oh I haven't I, you know I've been working all day I haven't had time to cook I mean if you haven't been to the supermarket yeah. and you don't have a veg patch outside yeah what are you gonna make you know you need to you need to plan it you need to so there's the person who's the planner in the house yes which whether the the meal comes out whether it's because of a whim of yours or you heard somebody say that they feel like eating something or, you know, how do you cook? How do you choose a meal? There, there has to be a guiding light. There's like a lighthouse in the in the kitchen. Yeah. And when I'm here, I try and do a bit for fun, a bit for, for you know, my one daughter now, Cassia, is studying. She's got exams. So I'm trying to think about what is good and settling for that kind of thing. Keep a bit of interest, a bit of inspiration, mm-hmm. something that Nonna might have sent. So you're using that using up something that needs to, you know, you needs to use. Yeah. That got. So it's a combination of things. So my book is that. And it's so beautiful. I write, I, I cook like that as well. I, I cook from my heart. I cook, like I said at the top, like that is definitely our unique love language that we both share. And it's also, we're both very thoughtful with food. And I think also the ingredients that come into our little lives and, we want to make sure, like you said, I try to eat sustainably as well. I also try not to waste um, as much as humanly possible. But it some other some people out there they don't care. They are fast food junkies. Uh, they are just exhausted from making too many decisions throughout their day. That then, like you said, they get home and they're like, "I just want to have some takeaway." Like I can't. And there's nothing wrong with that, too. Um, no, there really isn't. And I think that. Um... You know, you've got to get through your day, mm-hmm. your own integrity. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, so I have a couple of listener questions. Would you like to answer yes. them? Okay. So 
Let's see. Selma from Instagram writes, I imagine that it takes a while to write a cookbook. Since you've written 11, how long did it take you to write each one? Were some quicker than others? If so, why? Well, um, I would say this last book, to be fair, would have taken about two years. Oh, my gosh. Because, you know, it's it's yeah. again, it's the whole, it's the collecting process. Mm -hmm. You cannot collect 150 recipes in one week unless you are, I don't know what, I cannot. Mm -hmm. So between collecting them and testing them and giving enough space mm -hmm. for the book to settle and and brew and, and and do what it needs to do. You can write a really rushed cookbook mm -hmm. in, in much shorter time, but then it cannot have any flow or different kind of chapters like the way that I've got or writing. You can't write and cook and, you know, it's just too much. So I think that you need the space to be working with every professional person that you're working with. So there'll be the time with the editor and that comes right at the end. And then um, once the words are all like, you know, carefully put into place and cut and trimmed and, and all of that, then, you know, so you're working on different processes at the time. Mm -hmm. You're shuffling, and shifting, and the photography is happening at the same time as that. You yes. know, and yeah, a lot of times while you, when you're working with the editor, um, only then, you know, would you start the design concept has has gone on already by then. But only once the final words are cut, do you seriously start putting into place? Because otherwise, you don't know if a recipe is running over one page or yeah. two. Right. So the whole process is lengthy, oh, yes. you know, and then you've got time to rethink about your text, but you've got to have something to give in when they want it in. <laughs> you absolutely do. Yeah. I mean, you have when deadlines. They've got the deadline. Yeah. You know, you've got to have something to give in. You can say, guys, I know you trust me and I'm working on it. You need to give it in. You need to give the work in. So that initial work is really, really intense. I mean, I don't know how many hours a day. I've put into that, but I would not count yeah. my hours that I do on a book. I would not count my hours. No, no. And the research and the testing and the writing and, and with yours, it's not just recipes because there's cookbooks that it really, the storytelling is more uh, secondary, if not barely there. It's like, here's the, here's the picture. Here's the recipe. And that's a, that's a fabulous style of cookbooks. And there, that's, there's that style. And then there's definitely more of like a memoir style where you have this beautiful story that's then attached to the recipe and the, and some photos some no not photos photographs um and it's just two different styles of cookbooks which both take uh an excruciating amount of time oh, for both styles have, i think that people who are working on a book also have different needs and wants like not everybody wants to be involved in every process right right you know right so I do love that, but somebody else might say, I'm really busy, I'm a chef, I'm going to do a book, here are the recipes, you you take the rest. So there's, I think there's so many different individual styles mm -hmm. to go with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm involved in all of the processes because I love it. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it, this so isn't on, your first rodeo. Selecting props, you know, I cook the food, I, you know, I do all of it, I do all yeah. of it. So, so then do you shoot at your own house or do you shoot somewhere else? We did shoot at my own house and we yeah. also did a shoot in Greece where my daughter was living at my niece's house. Oh, fabulous. So fabulous. Oh, if you ever need photography support, I'm flying to you. I have a camera yes, and I will you. travel. Thank you. But you know, it does make sense to shoot in your own house. You know how it is. Yes. It like does. when you're in a new place or in someone else's kitchen and you're like, sorry, where's the salt and where's the spoon? Oh, no. 
Yeah. Well, because you want the images, especially depending on the story you're telling within the book too. Like I've shot books in a very, not sterile studio setting, but like, and you create the warmth with the props and the food and, and everything. But it takes but a lot, doesn't it? To, it does. To, to build. It does. But it's also, you want to be as authentic and as comfortable as you can be, because that comes across in everything. I mean, in my opinion, at least in the photos and in, in the story we're trying to all tell together. So it is, it's what's the story we're telling. Is it for a restaurant? Well, then we need to shoot part of this in the restaurant. Like part of it, it would be nice to shoot in a studio because you never want to really shoot anything in a restaurant if you don't have to, because it's just very cramped and there's no space nine times out of 10, but, um, yeah, it is, it's very important. So I, I think that's fabulous. So Selma, if you want to write a cookbook, plan some time, <laughs> if you're interested in that. Um, and then, you know, the amazing thing to know is that you don't, you don't have to do everything on your own. And it just seems oh, daunting because you think, oh my God, and the photos and, but a photographer, my photographer does that. So he'll tell yeah. me, sorry, this is not a good position. This is not going to look good. Yeah. This is where the lighting. And so you've got these professional people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so why I'm you... really like people that do their own cooking, styling and photography is like, that's just not me. You know, it's, um, I can be a little bit there on it and I bring in my plates and I collect props and I join in with the stylist, but on the photography side of it, that's not my department. So, you know, you need that professional, you need somebody who know who knows what they're doing. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. In order to translate your work to where it needs to go. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, okay. Mary in New Hampshire writes, I'm going to Bologna for a week next fall and taking a cooking class. I'm interested in spending more time in the region doing things that are a little less touristy. Do you have any recommendations to have a more authentic Italian experience or any things to see in Tuscany? Well, I think that it's not difficult to have an authentic Italian experience because I always just say that you have to go behind mm -hmm. like pull back the curtains mm -hmm. and go behind and talk to people mm -hmm. so um, I think that Italy is quite an easy place to have an authentic experience I mean once you get past those people that are haggling for tourists and trying to make you eat pizza at lunch and things like that Ugh. you know you know that the Italians, I don't really know of people who eat pizza at lunchtime over here. Or no. they'll try and get you to eat a pizza and a lasagna together because they oh say, God. Oh are God. two best sellers, you know. And and you know that's not going to happen. I say talk to the locals. Yeah. Go to the markets and look for which are the best restaurants. Sit yourself down and eat the way that the locals eat. So in Bologna, it's all about the tortellini, the ragu, butter, creams, the parma ham, the mm. parmesan, you know research about the regions go to the markets and ask mm -hmm. the local people where their favorite restaurants are go and eat where you know people that are driving trucks stop and have lunch because they're going to look for mm. places that are cheap and cheerful and easy to go to and everyday food because everybody in italy they all want good food yeah you know um lunchtime in italy is lunchtime and um wherever the people are going mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. push past push past the tourists and go into shops i just talk to everyone and i say sorry where do you eat what do you drink with this they've got their beautiful lambruscos and their you know incredible products mm -hmm. follow the products and go where the people of the place eat go mm -hmm. to the local markets buy the local things over there and 
fall into step immediately with the seasons. Yes. So yeah. you'll see what is being given out at the moment. Now get your little local trattoria where they probably have a special every day. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. talk and to order them. It. Talk to, yeah. Talk yeah. to the grandmother. Sorry, what did you say? I didn't hear. I said make sure you order that special every day because don't don't just I mean you because we all get so excited when we're hungry and we're like oh and you see the menu and you're like oh I want that looks familiar and I'd like to get that but no 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 step outside of the comfort zone trust yeah. us the food and talk to people talk to everybody mm-hmm. if in a taxi ask him what he's having for lunch mm-hmm. what he had for dinner last night mm-hmm. where's his favorite place I talk to everybody yeah and Italian food is at its core, simple. It is simple. It uh, is so simple and so, so simple. Stretched out, like so stretched out, you know. Yes. Um, it's humble, it's um seasonal, and it is I also agree, like try to get out of the main cities. Try to find the little pot like especially in Tuscany, my God, there's every little tiny village has a beautiful trattoria has a beautiful osteria has a beautiful cafe that you can a market that you can just go even if there's only one you can go and i mm. promise you it will be spectacular and the thing with the italian people you cannot be intimidated you just need to talk and they will yeah. my god will this country talk back to you like there is no yeah. this is not france no shade no nothing to to the people of france the people in France are a little more, um, especially in Paris, a little more snotty, dare I say, a little more, um, maybe snotty is not the right word, reserved. The people in Italy, they want to tell you about their their passion. Like we are passionate people mm-hmm. and we love to share. And especially if it's about food. Oh, God. And especially if it's about food. Yeah. There's so much to see, but go even beyond that and you'll find experiences even beyond the obvious, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You might run into somebody picking mushrooms in a forest and they'll tell you where to go and eat or, you know. Or more there's, likely there's they'll say, come wonderful- to my house. I just picked all these mushrooms. Come to my house. I will cook for you. Like that is, I'm no, yes. no, I'm not even exaggerating. Like the people of Italy are some of the nicest people on the planet. So nice. So nice. I think so. And I think that Puglia, your region, they're incredible. Oh yeah. They, they know how to, to eat. In Puglia, and it's a long, drawn-out eating experience, hours and hours. That was one of the the big things I remember. I was with my family, and we um got there at like I think the train got to Foggia at I don't know eleven a.m. And so then from there we went to Troia. My cousin picked us up, and we went to Troia, and we met the mayor because it's a tiny town. <laughs> and we got we were now ambassadors of the of the town. We have the official documents, and then. <laughs> From there, yes, as one met all the friends that are like family. Then we went to this little cafe and we sat down and they had brought this huge spread out. And I thought, this is lunch. Mm-mm, no, my friend. We ate <laughs> there for like an hour and a half. Then my cousin goes, oh shit, the restaurant's going to close soon. We need to drive. We drove all the way to some town on the uh, Adriatic. So then we, he, in his car, his Audi, he flew. We get there at like, I don't know, 3.30. That's when we sit down for a huge lunch. Then we eat lunch. We leave there at like, I don't know, 5.30. I'm American. I'm American. We've now eaten. I'm thinking we're going to bed soon. Oh, no. 
no, no. We go back to his parents' house in in Troya, and his mom has set out cookies and cafe. We're having espresso. We're having you know all that stuff. Then he's like, okay, we're gonna go back to my house and have a cocktail, a pair of teeth. And I said, great. Then he's like, and then we go to dinner. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, we left for dinner at 1030 at night. I'm like, are you, I am asleep at 830 at night. Like this is out of control. Then we went and had dinner at his friend's farm and we ate until, I don't know, three o'clock in the morning. And I was like, we have to, we have a train to catch that next day back to Rome. Like it was insane. Our train was at like, but I bet you'll never forget that. Never, never. I bet you'll never forget. Never. And the only reason we had to go was because we got tickets to a football match and it was like it was a Serie A match in Rome in the stadium and I was like we, my husband's a huge football fan so I was like we have to go we have to see this match and it was like Roma versus I forget who doesn't matter but it was which was a whole nother thing like so you see you saying that it's daunting to write a book this is a book right here it is yeah 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 no you're very you're very kind it, it yeah but 11 books is daunting let's be honest like to think of you know, in hindsight, how far that is a massive accomplishment. Like my hat is off it to is. you. Okay. But don't think about 11. Think about your experience that you just told me. Yeah. And that is just like, wow, I can see the whole thing in pictures. I'm on that You're you on know, journey. In that car with you yeah. and we're flying to to lunch. And I can just understand the importance of it. You know, having yeah. an American cousin over and you need to show them all these things. <laughs> and yeah, the excitement that people just put into their day, you know, yeah. it's amazing. I love it, it is. I love it, it is. So, uh, Mary in New Hampshire, we hope you have an amazing Tuscany to Italian adventure. Don't be afraid to say yes to everything and eat everything. Eat and in Tuscany, food. yeah, in Tuscany, the same as Bologna. So, mm-hmm. Tuscany is a little bit more soft. There's a bit less creams and richness, but beautiful foods. Eat the seasons. Talk mm-hmm. to people mm-hmm. and go to little villages, like we said. Yes, exactly. Okay, last listener question. Costas from Instagram writes, we are a family who loves to cook. Costas, you're speaking to us. And keep old Bravo, traditions- Bravo, Costas. I know, right? And keeping old traditions alive. I've been thinking about creating a family cookbook with family recipes for years now to give as a gift. And well, maybe even to try to sell a few along the way, though I have no idea where to start. Do you have any tips on writing, photographing, self-publishing a cookbook? Well, we've kind of covered a lot of this. Well, let me tell you, Costas, that you start off with one recipe. Mm -hmm. And on my computer, I always have one file open. And it doesn't have to have a name. It doesn't have to be finished. Collect everything that you love. And it sounds like he's got a structure already Mm -hmm. of his book, the, the recipes that he wants to keep. I would say start testing them in a coherent way, like, I, I'm not fussy if you look at my book, some of the recipes serve two, some serve four, because I hate to have to say you've got to have a family in order to have a, you know. Yeah. So I try and vary it. Like a kitchery might serve four or five, and then I've got another recipe that serves two. Get them down and tested into a proper way before you even think about photographing them, because the photographs can come at the end. And they and, have to. Yeah. And I will tell you a story that I was talking about on an interview just yesterday. Um my first book, 12, which I mentioned earlier on, I did it, I wrote it, I collected it in the way that I wanted, we photographed it, and then I thought, okay, let's get it published. I wrote to 45 publishers, they all said no. Mm-hmm. And 
I did it myself. I self-published. Mm. I'm not mm. saying that is the road that people should take, but because I just wanted the book for myself, I thought, well, no one seems to want to do it. Yeah. Let me do it on my own. So I printed 1,500 copies mm. and um, started sending it out to people for sale, you know, to England and London, wh wherever I sent it to, and I would sell it to shops locally over here. And then I, I suddenly heard one day that there was the Frankfurt Book Fair on, which is like now. I think that the Frankfurt Book Fair is on now. And I got myself onto a train with two copies of the book and off I went. And even there, people were not really so interested. They were like, well, sorry, who are you? And can you leave the book over here and we'll get back to you or phone us for an appointment? And then I got to Murdoch Books. Murdoch and they were quite interested they said leave the copy of the book with us come back in half an hour and we'll talk to you and they they took it immediately wow immediate wow so that is a story that mm -hmm. I can tell you firsthand mm -hmm. that I think that you know if you believe in something follow it mm -hmm. it's not this it's not the road for everybody but nowadays it's much easier to get yeah. a book self-published yeah yeah. And not nearly as expensive. Um, no. The cost is much barrier to entry is much lower. The cost is much lower. And I agree with you. Like the, uh, I can only speak from the photography end of it. And I have worked in many editorial. Um, I shoot for a magazine here in the States. And there is many times that a recipe will shoot it. Cause we shoot so far in advance. Like last month we shot for, uh, March, April of 2024. Mm. But um, the editors go through a first pass with the imagery and sometimes the recipe writers need to refine a recipe because of an ingredient you can't get or something changed. And so then we have to do reshoots, which happens all the time. And that's something we all try to avoid as you do sure. too. I can but imagine. Yeah. Occasionally it does happen. And so that's why the photography piece is always at the very last minute, if you can do it, because with recipe testing, with ingredients, if the recipe is running too long on a page, sometimes mm -hmm. you need to cut certain things. And maybe that is one final step that you combine with something else, which then might change the texture of how it looks slightly. And you want to get the photo right like there's so many there's so many so things many. Come yeah. Along. It's like yeah yeah but um that's fascinating I'll write that all down for him and um and I think that is um that is a good place to start is not to be intimidated and think I'm doing a book start with the recipe start with yeah. the skeleton of it write yeah. out the skeleton and you know do like a, a map and and think what what do I want if he's wanting to give this to his family how does he want to represent it mm, and mm -hmm. enjoy the process of doing that? You know, like yeah. what kind of chapters do you want? Like, what is, what is the nationality? What are you, how do they eat there? You know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. is it Greek? Is it Italian? Is it just mixed? Is it, um, you know, how do you want to set it out? How does he want to find it? Mm -hmm. That's my criteria is how do I want to find this book on my shelf? Mm -hmm. I love that. And then just think, just do it. Just yeah. do it in the way that you can do it. Move forward. Do one small thing at a time. You don't, It's not going to be all. And then I find that things just start happening organically. I always say that every book of mine has a life of its own. Mm. You know, so just trust the process and 
you know, we've got this kind of layout at the beginning, but the direction that it goes, it will go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let it go. Let it breathe and let it go, you know? Yeah, totally. So final questions, because I've stolen so much of your time today. Something I always ask everyone, um, what are you currently making at home right now that you're absolutely in love with? Well, um, I've just been traveling. I've been away. So I was in London and I just came back on Sunday night from London. Before that, the couple of weeks before that, I was in Thailand. So I've got, um, I came back with some makrut limes and lime leaves and my lemongrass. So I'm definitely going to be making Someone's some. making a curry. A curry yeah. with that. And a lot of vegetables as we're talking. So I'm making like mung bean bowls. I've got a Cypriot soup at the moment on the go, which is with halloumi and it's just really beautiful. And I'm craving things like, you know, the regular old pastel pomodoro and pastel ragu. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about a grilled salmon for tomorrow night. And um, my girls are very much enjoying experimenting with Korean food at the moment. So I love to let them into the kitchen and, you know, I, I you love have trouble finding Korean groceries in Siena? Where I live, I live in between Siena and Florence in uh -huh. the countryside. So here I have trouble finding everything. Yeah. So I go to Florence, which is about an hour door to door. Oh, okay. That's not bad. And I can get everything. And even, oh, closer, even closer than that, I can get um, all my Indian spices and supplies, you know, from a couple of Indian shops. And then there's a, a a grocer, a vegetable store, a vegetable shop and fruit that I know that I can get things like fresh coriander. And um, I think it's important to keep going to those shops. Yeah, absolutely. So then ordering open. online. Yeah, absolutely. So they remain open. And I love that. I love that mixing in with people, you know, saying to them, what are you doing here? And what do you do? And so I go there. I know that I'm out of like, you know, cumin seeds and mm -hmm. um stuff like that so I need to go out and, and do a little shop and then for me to go to Florence is absolutely no problem mm -hmm. whatsoever I oh, go that's there, great. do a couple of things buy what I need mm -hmm. eat something spectacular and then mm -hmm. come home that's like <sighs> in a day's work kind of sounds you know? sounds magical yeah because you think like uh finding gochujang paste in Siena is probably impossible but in Florence it's we've not we've got that we've got that in our fridge along with a million other things which, um, you know, like I make my own ghee. And uh, an Indian friend of mine came in and said, my mother doesn't even make ghee. <laughs> but, you know, you can buy ghee at the supermarket, but all you need to do is melt the butter. It's just sometimes sure. people have put a block about certain things. 100%. So we've got all of those wonderful mixtures of Cypriot, Finnish, Korean, <sighs> Japanese, oh. um, a Japanese friend of mine. So I'll have some of their beautiful sugar and, you know, there's, there, there are so small stores. You just have to make the time to go out and get them. And surprises. Yeah. yeah. Surprises. You know, like there's fresh dill in Siena at a like a uh, an eastern sort of shop, like a Balkan mm. kind of thing. And you think, well, dill. You know, mm -hmm. I would have thought, you know, don't just cross it off your list and say they don't have it over here. They do. You just have to find it. You just have to. You, you got to do everything. your research. You and can find get it. everything. Yeah, Everything. absolutely. Absolutely. So promote yourself. How can people find you? How can they get a hold of you? How can they get your beautiful new book? Well, the, the new book, I think, would be available anywhere yeah. or online. Um, I'm not sure where, where it is available in the States. I think it's distributed by um, Quarto. Quarto. Mm -hmm. 
Quarto. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's who it's distributed by. Um, I've got my beautiful publishing company, which is called Murdoch, and that's based in Australia and the UK. My Instagram handle is Tessa Kiros. Mm -hmm. That's an S on the end. S for sugar. Tessa Kiros. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, Tessa Kiros or Tessa's Travels. Mm -hmm. And I generally, you know, um, put a little bit of of information on that, on where I am or what I'm doing or or, or stuff like that. And that's me, but I'm living in the countryside of Italy. So, um, and I travel a lot. So I, I go between Greece and Thailand and, you know, whatever comes up. I so love I'm it. up for any next adventure of, of anything. I do a few cooking classes. Uh, sometimes we do workshops, but I will always post about that on, on Instagram. Okay, perfect. If um, I've got a workshop coming up, I know that we're going to be doing one in Greece next year. I might be doing one in Italy. So we'll, 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 I'll, I'll mention all of those on my, on my Instagram. Okay, perfect. Last, 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 last question. If you had all the money in the world, where are you going and what are you eating? Well, if you have to say to me, where am I going next? I think Japan. I want to go to Japan. I have never been. Mm -hmm. And I would want to take my family on a big, big, lovely trip to some of these places. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to eat everything. Yeah. No, I hear you. I, uh, that is something that I have said many times over that I would want to go to Japan and do like a three week food tour and just Definitely. really experience Japan. Really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know what I think I would do? I would do like a lot of countries around there while I was there. Mm -hmm. You know, I would hang out more in Thailand with my family. I would go to Indonesia. Mm -hmm. I would start there. Mm hmm. I would start there, but I want a long time there. I don't want these little, like, you know, one week sort of trips where no. you just about get the hang of what you're doing and it's time to get back again. Gosh, the jet lag I had when I came from, from LA, it took me so long to come right from that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I always feel like, um, well, no, actually I feel for me jet lag, like going to Europe, uh, no, Which I guess worse. coming back. I don't know, actually. Sometimes it's coming, it you know, it really just depends. Just depends. Mm. Like if I, sometimes when you travel mm. you towards the end of when you're traveling, you get sick because you're traveling, you know? And like, so then sometimes when you're on the way home, you're getting the like beginnings of a cold or something. So then that sucks. And sometimes when you go there, losing time can suck, but you just have to acclimate and like force yourself. And um, you have to do it because, it, you know, yeah. especially if you don't have much time. So if I had all of that money, I yeah. would move to a country mm. and like... Move okay. in there for like minimum six months. Okay. For me, the ideal thing would be to live in different places from here on. I could sign now on it. A year in Japan, a year in Indonesia, a year in Thailand, a year in Australia, a year in the States. You know, yeah. for me, that would be like the most exciting thing to do. I, I, I would do that in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. In but a I heartbeat. see like your little, no it was it Nona? Is like put putzing around in the is, is Nona there? I saw her in the background. Is <laughs> yeah, it? I think it, it's Giovanni. I think it was one of my daughters was like, Oh, okay, cat. sorry. I'm I was not somebody to making anybody. tea in the back. And I wanted yeah. to turn around and say, Yeah, we're having an interview. Oh, here, no, it was great. It was perfect. Oh. But they would all have to come with you. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's coming with you. I would take everybody. I would take everyone yeah. and the cats and everybody and just go and do it. You know, it's just. I love it when I see people doing that kind of thing. Like I met somebody the other day in London and she, and I said to her, what are you doing? And she says, well, I'm living in London. And I said, what about your husband? Oh no, he's living in Greece. And I oh. said, okay. Um, and, and so we said to her, 
Well, she said, this is just for now because I've come here and I'm doing work and I'm studying something. That unblockedness, I love it. Yes. And I said, yes. what did you do with your stuff? The kind of thing that often just keeps us like stuck. Yeah. She said, oh, I just put it in storage, you know. And I brought with me everything that I wanted to bring. So um, to have that freedom, to have yeah. that that untethered, unblocked freedom. That freedom, to make yeah. it. Yeah. Because yeah. I think we say, oh, who's going to feed the cats? You know, some people just take them with. <sighs> What a beautiful way to end our conversation. Tessa, this was such an incredible time I got to spend with you. Thank you so, so, so much. I really hope that our- For me as well. And, you know, it's just beautiful to talk to you. And thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. And fun. Such fun. Such fun. with a cup of tea. It felt like an old friend just chatting away. Please come visit me in Boston. You always have a home to stay. We, I will take you out. We can eat the heck out of New England. So much to eat and see. <laughs> oh, the lobster. Repeat your, your kind of itinerary that you had with your cousins in Puglia, Oh, huh? it'll be a blur, but we'll have a lot of fun doing it. I pro- I absolutely promise we can cook together. Promise, I promise, I promise. So stay thank in touch. You. Thank you so, so, so much. I really thank you again. Oh my God, you guys, how much do we love Tessa? Seriously, seriously, amazing. Just amazing. And a conversation it was by far the highlight of my week that week i just loved every moment of connecting and chatting and i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did so i will link all of her information in the show notes make sure to pick up her newest cookbook i will link to that in the show notes as well for those fabulous show notes head on over to my website elizabethrfuller.com if you've got questions for the podcast shoot me an email let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com and of course tag me in all of your food adventures on instagram at let's go on a food adventure and if you need more food photography in your life i mean who doesn't make sure to check out my other instagram page elizabeth fuller photography all right you guys thank you so much i will be back in two weeks make some yummy food together this weekend leave with kindness and i'll see you in a couple of weeks bye